Can we just say, just give a give a hand to how well we've been led in worship today? We've just been blessed. He who is mighty has done a great thing, taken on flesh and conquered death's tomb, shattered the darkness. That's what he did. Shattered the darkness. Maybe you're sitting in here and you're, you're feeling a lot of darkness all around you and you need to know that the sun came to shatter. He came to destroy. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And I, I just could not help but be completely just undone singing that song and, and worshiping together. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Let's come before the Lord and pray. And turn to John chapter 1 as well while we're doing that. Father God, I just, just come before you, Lord, and sometimes we forget the great blessing that you have done, that you have lavished upon all who will believe, that you sent your Son into the world. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us as of the only Son from the Father, full of glory, full of grace, full of truth, full of life, to give life to anybody who will believe, to change them instantaneously as they trust in this great Lamb of God. And Father, as we come in today, would you awaken us to the beauty and the glory of being a disciple of Jesus? And if we have not trusted in Jesus, if we have not become his disciple, Lord, that you would minister and that the Spirit of God would awaken faith in those who are here who need to hear a word about Christ to liberate their souls. And I pray, Father, that your word would come forth as we're considering what it means to be a disciple and what it means to be the people of God and what it means to be called by King Jesus to live completely a different way when we were totally fast bound in sin and in nature's night doing our own thing and then Jesus called us and we were changed. Father, help us to get a grip uh, on that. Help us to, to, to see it if we don't see it and help us to see it more if we're hazy coming in today and we just need to be awakened once again to the beauty and glory of it all. Lord, minister to us, blow upon us with your spirit, come upon every heart in this room and grant us more of Christ. And we pray, Father, that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. James Montgomery Boyce uh, once said about discipleship, he once said, the fatal defect in the life of Christ's church in the 20th century, and I think it's even more true now, is a lack of true discipleship. A lack of true living for Christ. And, and he was talking about like, this is actually a, a, a lack of real disciples among the professing church. Last week we talked about how uh, people are being beheaded over in Afghanistan for the name of Jesus, and when often the American church is thought of or they come back and visit on furlough, it seems like there's a sleep over the church. 
And that's exactly what Boyce is getting at. He's, he's getting at the fact that when we look at the state of the church in America, for the most part, discipleship is not a word that's being used. This idea of following Jesus, fully committed, fully submitted, giving your life to Christ. And what, wherever He goes, I'm going. That's what's happening when God gets a hold of a heart. And Daryl, what he shared with us, really, in essence, if I could kind of like summarize it in a nutshell, it's the Spirit of God touching a heart and awakening, once again, the call to discipleship. Amen? May the Lord do that in our hearts. May the Lord raise that up in our souls. And where we're struggling, may He give us the strength to see again what Christianity is all about, what following Jesus is all about. I was thinking this week of uh, the Bible miniseries, mini and they do this whole show on the calling of the first disciples, which is what we're going to be talking about today. And I always... I'm always a little skeptical when I see the Bible being done by Hollywood, right? Because they, they pick all the wrong people to be the actors of these Semitic Jewish guys. They've got like English dudes who look European and they've got these English accents and, and they don't sound anything like uh, a Jew. And you're just kind of like, okay, <laughs> we'll go with it. I'm just going to imagine it. But uh, I remember this scene where you know, John and James and Peter and Andrew are being called to leave their boats, to leave the fish and uh, their life as fishermen and follow Jesus. And they all kind of leave everything to follow him. They want to be fishers of men, right? And then uh, there's this moment of kind of like pause. Everybody's looking at Jesus and they're kind of like, okay, well, now what? <laughs> we, we followed you. Um, and then uh, he's like, what are we going to do, Lord? And Jesus looks at him with this British accent and he says, Peter, we're going to change the world. And it's like this moment where I was like, that much they got right. Because what happens when Jesus calls 12 ordinary men away from their whole way of doing life, even away from the religious sort of, uh, I'm going to try to earn my way to salvation and do it my own way. Some of them were tax collectors. Some of them were rush, rough fishermen. Some of them were zealots who would have been the sort of people who hated the tax collectors. And you would have had like a brawl, a WWF sort of thing going on in the middle of the disciples. But Jesus gets a hold of their heart, makes them new. And they begin to look to him and live for him. And so when we're thinking about discipleship, God calls all sorts of people, people like you and I, out of what we were doing before. It doesn't mean sometimes we think, oh, I've got to quit my job. I've got to quit all of this other stuff that I'm doing and I need to get a lobotomy and I'm no longer me. No, Jesus gives you a new heart so you can follow him in new ways. But you bring the real you to Jesus and you submit your life to him. And we need to just be reminded today of what it looked like when Jesus walked onto the scene and the first disciples were called. Because sometimes we just are, we like struggle with what does this whole discipleship thing look like? But Jesus looked out and he saw men 
and he asked them to follow him. And it was a summons. It was a command. And it was an invitation all wrapped up in one. And it would take them out of one sphere of life into an in total new sphere of life that would change everything for them. And I want that to happen to us. And if, if we've lost sight of it, that we would be awakened afresh to what it means to follow Jesus as Lord of all. So we're going to look at our text. And we're going to, just to get a little context here, I'm going to back up to verse um, 29 of chapter 1. And this is John the Baptist on the scene, seeing Jesus coming towards him. It says, the next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. And I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him at Jesus' baptism. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom the Spirit descends and remains this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You've been baptizing with water, John, but there's somebody coming who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and he's going to change people from the inside out. That's who's coming. And, and, and listen to John's testimony. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. This is none other than the very Son of God. Verse 35. And the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. Come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying and stayed with him that day. And it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who had heard John speak followed Jesus. And his name was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him. He looked at him like he might have looked at you. Or like as the word of God spoke to you one day, he looked at him and he said, so you are Simon, the son of John, but you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And they were changed that day. They followed that day. They became the first disciples of Jesus that day. And so we saw, as we walked through that, we saw a transition taking place because John the Baptist was all about pointing to Jesus. He's all about like people get ready. Jesus is coming. And then Jesus comes on the scene and John is given way. He's like that Olympic runner passing the baton to the next guy saying he's going go with him. And ultimately, Jesus came on the scene and John points to him. And we're learning in this passage, we're going to see four things about disciples. We're going to see that disciples behold the lamb. We're going to see that disciples actually follow Jesus and commit 
we're going to see that disciples actually share Jesus with other people. And then we're going to see that disciples are transformed people. So that's, that's where we're headed. And you saw it in the text as we read through. So point number one, disciples behold the Lamb. And you see twice in this text, John referring in verse 29, he says, on the next day when he saw Jesus coming towards him, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. And then again, in the very next day, he says to his disciples as he sees Jesus coming again, as if they didn't get the message the first time. In verse 35 and 36, right? He says, behold the Lamb of God. So the first thing that discipleship begins with is beholding the Lamb of God. I don't know how many of you have, have went out into the backyard you know, late at night, it's dark, pitch black. You look up and you just see the stars in the sky. We used to have a trampoline back before we, like, basically mangled it to try to get it to Shelbyville. And it still has, it's, it's limping along. But we used to actually lay out in our backyard and look up at the stars. And just gaze at the beauty of the stars. And look and ponder and, and see just the different nuances. And you're checking out, like, the... Uh, constellations you're like oh oh ryan is that the big dipper or the little dipper or okay um, but we're looking we're gazing we're seeing there's something to behold up there and john the baptist is pointing his disciples to another teacher to a man who's greater than him who he said i'm not even worthy to lo loose his sandal strap to one who's coming who's greater than me he said who outranks me because he was from of old. He was the ancient of days. There's one coming and he's the Lamb of God. And right from the start, you've got to know when you're beholding him, you've got to know that he's a lamb who was slain on a cross. You've got to know that he's a picture of Passover. He's a picture of of what Passover pointed to. You all remember Passover where it's in the Exodus and God has promised to set His people free and there's a night on the final plague that hits Egypt. What happens? But God promises that the angel of death will come and bring judgment on any house that does not have the lamb and the lamb's blood because there would be a spotless lamb that was called to be slaughtered. And the blood would need to be put on the doorpost. And the angel of death, the angel bearing God's judgment on sinful humanity, would pass over if it saw the blood. And John is saying, look at him. He's the Lamb. It's the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who was to be slain. And He's pointing to the cross. He's pointing you to the cross. First thing, you want to know something about Jesus? He's going to a cross to save sinners. And maybe you've not tasted what it means to be free from your sin and its penalty and its consequence. And you still feel all kinds of guilty before God because you've never looked to the Lamb. And maybe you're a Christian riddled with guilt. Because you've been looking at everything else. You've been looking at your sin. You've been looking so much at yourself. 
You can't get your eyes off yourself. But you need to. And you need to look to the Lamb. Discipleship begins by looking to the Lamb who was slain on a cross. He died in our place, if we will believe. He died to pay it all. Jesus paid it all, and all to Him I owe. Will you gaze upon Him? Will you look to Him? Will you look to Calvary and see your only hope? And if you've never done so, if it's been sort of like I, my Christianity is basically I've been raised in the church and, and I've never really come alive to the things of Jesus because I've never beheld him as he is, as my savior for my sins, for my needs spiritually before God. And it's possible to be raised in the church, to do a lot of church activities and to have no life of God in your soul to have no real understanding of who the Lamb is, to never experience forgiveness, but do a lot of religious activity. There's all kinds of people, Jesus said, who will say to me in the end, Lord, Lord, who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. They'll even do miracles and cast out demons, he said, and mighty wonders and, and all sorts of things. And Jesus is going to look at them and say, I never knew you. You never beheld me. You never looked to the Lamb to live. You were trusting in your religious activity. And so John begins by pointing the disciples to Jesus and saying, you've got to look and start following him. Look to the Lamb and live. Have you looked to the Lamb? Have you trusted in him as your sacrifice, as the one who paid the penalty for your sins, for not like your neighbors, for not like, you know, sometimes we, we, we do kind of like separate this out and we're like, I, I've got all kinds of time to talk about the sin out there, but this sin in here, that's what Jesus Christ came to die for, to cleanse you of. And you can be rescued by beholding him. And John's gospel speaks of faith as beholding, of seeing, see, coming to spiritual sight. And you have to be raised up spiritually, which we'll talk about later. You've got to have a new heart. You've got to have new eyes, like the blind man who was begging, like, please, I, I can't see. And Jesus touches him and he gets sight. And every Pharisee is just saying, oh, who did this to you? And they're all mad. And they're like, why, why is this guy walking around with sight? He wasn't ever born blind. And he's like, listen, I don't know what you call it, but all I know is I was blind and now I see. And that's the story of my life. And if you're a Christian and you've been born from above, that's the story of your life. One day God opened your eyes. It could have been when you were five and you can barely remember it or you don't remember it. You're just like, I believe. Well, please know that you look to the lamb one day and he made you alive. Because it always starts with beholding the Lamb of God. Be staggered that the first two disciples had to look. And every other disciple after has to look and live. And perhaps the more we look to him, the more we're just going to overflow and want to share him. The more you behold the Lamb of God, the more you taste when we're worshiping together and you're worshiping the Lord and you're beholding the Lamb and you're singing about how glorious he is. He who is mighty has done a great thing, taken on flesh and conquered death's sting. 
shattered the darkness in my life and opened my eyes. That's what the Lamb does in your soul. And you begin to live a different way. Look at verse 12, and it says this idea of beholding in a different way with different language, but it's the same idea. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. So it's your willing is not going to get you saved. You can't just will yourself to be saved. In your flesh and birthright, being born in a Christian family can't save you. But the very last words tell you what happens. You're not born of flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 13 at the end. You got to be born of God. And when you're born of God, you receive Jesus for all he is. And you believe on him as the son. You believe on his person and work that he died for you, that he rescues you. And then it changes how you live. That's powerful. The whole point of John's gospel is to get our hearts around that. He's like, this is why chapter 20 tells us, this is why I wrote the gospel. This is why I wrote it. So that you may believe. So that you may see these signs and wonders and this truth about Jesus. What he, what, what he did, he turned the water to wine. He took bread and he fed 5,000 people from one loaf of bread. It's like, little kid, come here. I got your lunchbox. Boom, I'm going to feed 20,000 people. Because really, when you count women and children, it was about that much. I'm the bread of life, Jesus says. He would heal men blind from birth because he's the light of the world. This is who we proclaim. This is who we follow. This is the one we behold. And if we've received him, the overflow is going to be following, which is our very next verse. Look with me to verse 37. Look what happens when you behold the Lamb. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. This is just immediate. They're like, we're going with Jesus. We heard John. That's all we got to hear. Let's go. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? So Jesus is after this, this kind of following that's committed He's after, he's asking them the question of the ages that every one of us has to ask ourselves. What are you seeking when you come to Jesus? Who are you seeking? Who is he? Because you can mess that up. The Mormons think Jesus is the spirit brother of Satan. The Jehovah's Witnesses think he's Michael the archangel and he's not even the son of God. So... Depending on who you talk to, Muslims don't even believe he rose from the dead. So you've got to know this Jesus. You've got to behold this Jesus and see him for all that he is because he's the divine son of God. He came from heaven. He's the one who took on flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, fully God, fully man. And he's fully God and able to deal with your sin. And he's fully man and able to die. To pay the wages of your sin. For the wages of sin is death. And so he can say on the cross. It's paid in full. It's finished. The work has been completed on the cross. But it must be received. And it must be believed in. And then as you follow. You follow from that place of gospel saturation. 
Many of us struggle to continue to, 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 to live for Jesus joyfully because we haven't saturated our soul with the gospel. We haven't stayed at the place of the cross. We haven't come daily to cast our cares and our worries before him like, help, we need help, Lord Jesus. And these men came and they wanted to stay with Jesus and, and he asked them, what are you seeking? And they say to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, verse 38, where are you staying? So they answer, they say, he says, what are you seeking? And they're like, where are you staying? And we might miss what's happening there, but, but they want to be disciples. They want to follow Jesus. They want to give their lives to him. They want to leave everything else, follow Jesus, sit under his teaching. And that has the strength of lordship. Like there's a sense in which they want him to be the teacher, capital T. They want him to be the, we have found the Messiah. Andrew would later say, we found the Christ. The search is ended. I don't need to go anywhere else. I've got Jesus. And Jesus says to them, this is, this is so good. Jesus said to them in verse 39, come and see. Come and you will see. You want to follow me, Jesus says? You want to follow me? Come and see what I'm about. Come and see who I am. Come and ponder. Come and look. Study this word. Get a vision of me in the Gospels. Start reading through the Gospels today. Start reading and, and drinking in and getting in the world of the New Testament and seeing Jesus. And it changes you. And they want to follow and they want to live for Him. Imagine what that 24 hours was like. If you were there and you followed Jesus and you got a day with Jesus, it changed them to the core. And they became fully committed. D.L. Moody once said, the world has yet to see a man who has committed his life fully and completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what would God do if we committed fully? What would God do if the commitment was deep, bone deep, sacrificial, giving up certain things so you can do the things the Lord has called you to do. Sometimes God calls us to, to order our schedules in ways where we do different things that we would have normally done because Jesus got a hold of our heart. And we began to follow Him in all sorts of different ways. How so many problems in our life would begin to seem pale in comparison if we stuck close to Jesus. It's that image of the wandering sheep, right? You get away from the fold, and what does the shepherd do? He just gives him the boot and doesn't go after him. That's not Jesus. Jesus goes after the one who got away. He might be pursuing you right now today. You might be all off the beaten path, and the Lord is calling you to come back in. The Lord is calling you to come back and commit fully Commit completely. Give Him your heart. Give Him your life. Give Him your schedule. Give Him your all. And sometimes He gets that sheep and He brings Him in close. And there's even image in the ancient Near East where the shepherds would actually break the legs of the sheep if they wandered away too many times. And it seems kind of cruel at first, 
But what would happen is they would nurse them back to health, and that sheep would never leave the side of the shepherd again. And sometimes we need to be broken a little bit before we follow. Maybe you're there. Maybe that's you today, and you feel broken, and you need that healing touch. You need that, that, that staff coming alongside you and saying, hey, I'm going to take care of you. You commit yourself to me today, and I'm going to work out in your life exactly what you were meant to be. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? Come and see. Come and see who I am. Walk with me. Serve me. Live for me. Sacrifice for me. And you will see a life of joy. I've got living waters to give you. I've got living waters that's going to bubble up into joy. And sometimes we can just be like, no, Jesus, your promise, like, I don't know if you're going to do all that. Jesus said, as the good shepherd, he said, you know, the devil comes to rob, steal, and destroy. So we live on our own, and we live doing our own thing, and the devil's going to beat you down. And the devil's going to make you miserable. But Jesus said, I came to give life and to give it abundantly. You want an abundant life? The abundant life is a life surrendered to Christ and submitted to walk as a disciple following him. But what else do we see in this passage? We see that as a person beholds the Lamb of God, as a person follows Jesus in a committed way, then we see that the very natural overflow of that is just to start telling people about Jesus. And that's exactly what Andrew does. Look at this. This is I love this. I love Andrew. I wish there was thousands of Andrews in the church. Look at verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. He just brought him to Jesus. Come on, let's go. And Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Andrew's heart is to bring his loved ones to Jesus. He can't wait. He gets saved. And the first thing he wants to do is just go start sharing Jesus with his family, his friends, his close, tight-knit group. He's all about evangelism. Discipleship is about multiplying, right? We're about sharing Jesus to make more disciples, which is the Great Commission. All authority has been given to Christ in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe what I have commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And guess what? I'm going to be with you to the ends of the earth. Andrew, I've got this. Go get Peter. And he just runs and gets him. I remember when I first became a Christian, and some, this was convicting this week when I think about it, but I just, it was just natural. I didn't know anything else, but Jesus saved me, and I started sharing him with the people around me. I told my grandma, which she told my wife. That's how we ended up together. So that, the, there's, there's ways in which you just want to spread the love. And you start seeing the beauty and the glory of Christ and you want to tell people about Him. Like you're gazing at a star and you're like, come on out and check out Orion. Except Jesus is infinitely greater. 
And His light can come into the life of a person in darkness and shine and save them. And so Andrew is actually going to his brother and bringing him to Jesus. And I was just thinking, what would happen if we got gripped by that? And we just started telling our friends and our relatives and our neighbors about Jesus. And what would happen if Andrew didn't? What would happen if Andrew actually did not share Jesus with Peter? Uh, imagine all the stuff that would not have happened. The world, one of the greatest evangelists of the church and the apostle that Jesus said, this is my rock and I'm going to build a church on his profession and, and he's going to be a leader in this church. And the witness of Andrew, who is rather ignominious and not the kind of person that you, do, you don't have a lot of like, you know, uh, stickers about Andrew. But Andrew just like, pointed Peter to Jesus. And then Peter became a disciple and became an evangelist and, and brought 3,000 people to Christ through the power of the Spirit working. That was his first sermon. Imagine that for your first sermon. And if Andrew doesn't share, look what a loss that would have been. Of course, in God's sovereign purposes, he does share. And he is a, a great example to us of what just the affection for Christ and following Jesus overflows into. It's powerful. When I first got saved, that was my instinct, to just share the gospel with everybody I could. And then you got kind of, over the years, you get in a Christian bubble and like all your friends are Christians. So I know some of you are like, but listen, pastor, that's all I know is Christians. I've got to like, you know, drive 40 miles to find non-Christians, we might feel like. And sometimes we just got to break out of the bubble. Like if I don't get out and share the gospel out in the city, well, yeah, I'm not going to. Uh, most of the circles I travel in are Christians. But then again, I think about it, I got neighbors. And I got a lot of neighbors who don't know Jesus. So I just started getting real convicted by Andrew. And I was like, ooh. Andrew, and Andrew had to hoof it to go tell people about Jesus. The, the little boy who uh, Jesus fed 5,000 with his lunchbox, you know who brought him to Jesus? Andrew. Every, in fact, every time you see Andrew in the Gospel of John, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Change the world, Andrew. This is, the, this is discipleship 101, sharing Jesus with the world. And just saying, behold, the Lamb of God. That's glorious. I was amazed at how much really is packed into these short little few verses. It's like, it's like a beacon just blinking in our eyes. Tell the world about me. Tell the world. It's like Peter in that miniseries, right? He's, he's, he's asking Jesus, what do we do? Well, it's time to change the world. You know how you do that? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. When we preach the gospel, hearts are changed when they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the Apostle Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And you know what the devil wants us? To be ashamed, to be tight-lipped, to be quiet about Jesus. Be quiet. 
Don't say anything. They're going to get upset. Change the world by proclaiming the gospel. And I was just thinking about um, Romans chapter 10, um, which is my son's memory verse this week. And, And I was just like, Paul was all about this. Romans chapter 10. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? Speaking of the gospel, how are they going to call on Jesus whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless somebody's sent? As it is written, straight out of the mouth of the, the prophet Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Do you know it's a beautiful thing when you share Jesus? That it's beautiful to God. And it's beautiful when you share the good news and you share it with the love of Christ and you watch it change a life. I was just weeping before I stepped up here. I didn't think I was going to be able to preach. I was so overwhelmed when I just thought about how the Lord ministered to Daryl and touched Daryl and and, and encouraged Daryl in all of these ways. And God wants to wake us up and do it in all of our lives where we're living in a way where we're just beholding the Lamb and going out and being Andrews in our own way, with our own personality, You're not going to be, you know, thundering from a pulpit, most likely. You're going to be talking over a coffee. You're going to be inviting people to have a meal over your house. You're going to be maybe knocking on your neighbor's door and just saying, hello. But if you have the intention of being an Andrew, glorious things will begin to happen in your life. And you'll be attuned to the Spirit of God. And as J.C. Ryle said, This simple testimony of a warm-hearted brother was the first link in the chain by which Peter was drawn out of the world and joined Christ. And this first blow in that mighty work by which Peter was made a pillar of the church was struck by Andrew's words, we found the Messiah. Didn't take much. Just a few words to point somebody to Jesus. So lastly, we've seen that discipleship is about sharing Jesus with others, but we also need transformation. Discipleship changes the heart. Being a disciple changes us. It doesn't leave us the same. It doesn't doesn't allow us to just be the same every day. We're always growing. We're always being renewed. We're always beholding him and being changed by him and and. Actually, the apostle would say that it's by beholding Jesus that you're changed from one degree of glory to another, which is really a a fancy way of saying you're being sanctified the more you look at Jesus. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, they will sanctify or you will sanctify them, Father, by your truth. Your word is truth. So when you look to the word and you look to Jesus, you're transformed. And look at verse 42. Andrew brought him to Jesus, meaning Andrew brought Peter to Jesus and Jesus took one look at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. 
Now, this little verse is pregnant with a lot of meaning. Sometimes the Bible's so deep and there's layers of meaning going on there, but it's as if Jesus looked at Peter when he was Simon and said to him, you were Simon, now you're going to be Peter. I'm renaming you because a transformation is taking place in your soul and you're going to become the little Rocky. You're going to become rock. You were just impulsive, and, and he's still going to struggle with that all through the gospel. You know, ready, fire, aim, Peter. But you were like that. You're going to be this way. It's as if Jesus looked at Peter and he saw the potential that Peter was going to have and be as he was transformed by the life-giving Lamb of God and renewed, and he was set on fire for the things of Christ. You're going to be Peter now. And every one of you have, who have put your trust in Christ have been changed from the inside out. And you need to be reminded that Jesus had to look at you one day and say, you were Simon, but now you're Peter. You were Simon, but you're different now. You did have the heart of an old man living in sin, not living for Christ. Now you've been renewed and you've got affections for God, affections for his word, affections for communion with God. You love to sing. You want to know like how uh, it's very easy to know when somebody's just in love with the Lord and has passion for him because they just can't help but sing. You know, it's been said that when the men in church sing, that's how you know the spirit of God is a, is a whole because men don't like to sing. It was like, I'm not, I'm not singing. I'm not going to sing. But when singing starts happening and men are praising Jesus and doing stuff that they don't naturally normally do, you know the Spirit came on that church. You know the Lamb is beheld in glory and Jesus is changing hearts. And that puts the kind of boldness in men who will go out and share the gospel too. Being Andrew. And you also see a delightful, beautiful community where there's harmony and, and, and womanhood and masculinity are being lived out in glorious ways, which we're living in a culture that's so confused and they need the gospel to break in to rescue them. They are so twisted about what is right and wrong, what is light and darkness. And if nobody goes out and tells them, if nobody's been changed from the inside out and goes to tell them, they will labor in darkness. And it is our privilege to behold the Lamb. It is our privilege to follow Him in commitment, submitted and committed. It's our privilege to share Him and to be changed by him. And I want to close with a story of George Whitfield. I mentioned him last week. He was the preacher of the first great awakening. And a lot of people don't know like how his story starts because we just think of him as, you know, he's preaching 30,000 sermons. He's getting up at four in the morning and praying. And he's like some kind of supernatural, you know, Jesus freak that I can't get, you know, like, I'm not going to do that. But no, this man started trying to be a Christian in his own strength. He labored in prayer. He joined something called the Holiness Club to try to be good. He tried to be a Christian without the Spirit of God. He tried to be a Christian without being born again. He wanted to follow Jesus. 
but it was all in his own strength. And listen to him describe him coming to a place where he actually realized like something different has to happen. He says, God was pleased to remove the heavy load to enable me, to enable me to lay hold of his dear son by a living faith and by giving me the spirit of adoption to seal me even to the day of everlasting redemption. God showed me that I must be born again or be damned. I learned that a man may go to church, say prayers, receive the sacrament or communion, and yet not be a Christian. They were dealing with the same stuff we're dealing with all the way back then. And the greatest preacher of the Great Awakening was living as an unsaved Christian, professing Christian, in a church. And he was in something called the Holiness Club. And he was reading his Bible and praying. And he didn't have a saved heart. He didn't have a heart that was alive to God. He was still in his sin. And then he says, oh, with what joy, joy unspeakable, even joy that was full of and big with glory was my soul filled when the weight of sin fell off and an abiding sense of the love of God broke in on my disconsolate soul. Surely it was the day to be had in everlasting remembrance. My joys were like springtide and overflowed the banks. And he's describing what it was like to sit on his back in a field and God opened his eyes and he believed the gospel truly for the first time. And he realized he was lost and now he was found. He was alive to the things of God and he saw Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He saw Jesus as somebody who could take his sin. He no longer tried to earn it by all his religious activity. He no longer was looking back to his back. You know, he had been baptized too. He no longer looking back to any of that. He's looking to the lamb. And perhaps today you need to look to the lamb for the first time. Perhaps today you need to repent of your sins. Perhaps today God is awakening you as he awakened George Whitfield. And George Whitney Whitfield cried and sought with tears the new birth. Lord, just do it in my heart. And one day God visited him. So I want to encourage you if, you, if you're not in touch with the real salvation that is offered in Christ, but to as many as received him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the will, not of the flesh, but of God. Look to the sun today. And for those of us who have been struggling in our discipleship, look again with a fresh gaze like you're out in the backyard, looking to the stars, look to the sun again, and may the rays of gospel sunshine cause you to be revitalized in His grace. May His Spirit blow on you and strengthen you to live for Him today. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this truth. And we just pray, God, that you would move on our hearts. Revive and renew us. 
And make us see and savor Jesus more and more. And if we're prone to look at ourselves, Lord, may we take 10 looks at Jesus for every look we take to ourselves. And for those of us who need a fresh awakening to grace, would they call on him now, Lord? Would you cause them, if, if they're there, if they're in a place where I need rescue, that they would ask you, that they would ask you to forgive their sins, that they would confess your lordship, that they would submit their lives to you, that they would call upon you afresh and be helped. And we pray your blessing on today in Jesus' name. Amen.